Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now fly. If we're gonna fear, we fear well, again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Hour number two. Carmen is out for the next few days. I'm Paul and. One of the reasons Carmen is out, she's going through a trial. She's going through a situation right now. She should be in the surgery room, uh, the operating room, having a melanoma re- uh, removed from her neck. She's been open about this and going through this trial. And I've been watching her, talking with her, you know, before this. And, you know, she she's dealing with it, you know, with her eyes fixed on Jesus, which is where we should be, which I think is really You know, it's kind of appropriate right now, and if you can sign up, because we're only two days into this, it's easy to get on board, our Reading the Bible Together First Peter um, offering right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Sign up. There's a study guide. Uh, There's podcasts that you can watch every day with Angie Smith, uh, the producer for Susie Larson. She's hosting these podcasts, and the first one yesterday was with Carmen that they recorded a few weeks ago. Um, Yeah, take, take this in. Now... Like I said, it's the reading the Bible together, First Peter. Let's read a portion of it. Now, today, the focus verses are First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 25. I'm going to read part of that, but I want to back up a little bit and go to verse 7. Like I said, Carmen's going through trials. Maybe you're going through one right now. These trials will show that your faith is genuine, Peter writes. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. You love him even though you have not seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will have this will be the salvation of your souls. Now we uh, we go to part of the uh, passage that's for today concerning the salvation he just talked about the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquired what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating that they when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things they have now been announcing to you through, or the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy as for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, it goes on for a few more verses, but I wanted to just, you know, it's called the reading the Bible together thing we do here at Faith Radio on and off. Just hearing God's word sometimes is amazing. And I'm thinking of these verses with the mind of what Carmen's going through right now. And again, I, I ask you to keep her in your prayers. Well, a quick news item that I, I saw this morning. I, I get these email feeds from some various news sources. This one from Britain. And it talks about a British doctor who admitted to praying with patients. And he, well, he was under investigation. There was a tribunal against him by the National Health Service, the NHS, considering, you know, because he admitted on a radio interview on the BBC that, yeah, he'll offer spiritual care to, you know, if he knows a patient is a Christian, he'll say, would you like me to pray with you? And usually the people take him up on that. Well, some people were concerned and there was an investigation of this doctor, Dr. Richard Scott, by the General Medical Council, they ruled twice that he had not breached any guidelines, but the NHS tribunal kept going, and they finally came to terms. The, the, the case has been dropped. He agreed, uh, Dr. Scott agreed to take a one-day training course related to professional boundaries. You know, sometimes you know, some of the best care you can give is not just the medicine. Medicine is important. The actual surgeries and such are important, but to offer that hope also uh, very important. We're going to talk about that and more with Dr. Brent Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He'll join us in just about one minute. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot filling in. Thanks for listening to Faith Radio. Dr. My Eyes Have Seen the Well, again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen on this Tuesday. Joining us now, Dr. Brett Nix from Christian Medical and Dental. Hey, Brett, how are you doing? Have you ever actually experienced something like that regarding, you know, people pushing back when you feel led to pray for a patient? You know, it's interesting, Paul. You know, you brought up this in discussion before. There's a a physical presence to our illness. We know that. There is a mental, a psychological process with our illness. But there's also a spiritual realm, and there's tremendous numbers of studies that have shown that those that have a faith base uh, actually heal better and do better when you embrace that as the whole body, when you embrace the person, not just with medications, not just with prescriptive uh, activities and things that they need to be doing uh, related to their daily life otherwise, but yet you, would, you embrace an aspect of their life that is incredibly important, which can be the spiritual aspect. And, uh, you know, there are opportunities where in the emergency department we have time and opportunities to pray with patients. We have, you know, they're at a point of your greatest need. Mm-hmm. They will reach out and they will say, you know, is there a pastor with you? Is there somebody that can pray with us? And those are opportunities that, you know, for someone like myself, you cherish that because you are doing something in addition to the medicine that you've been trained to do that helps to meet the person where they're at. Uh, and so there's tremendous value in that and it's something that certainly needs to be embraced to a greater degree. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, as I mentioned a little while ago, as we uh, look at the news ahead of us, um, Carmen is right now having surgery to remove a melanoma. Prognosis is good, which, you know, it, it's just, you know, it used to be melanoma was not oh just a melanoma. Now, in many cases, it's 
just a melanoma or or I, I have a somebody I know who went through just <laughs> during COVID treatment for leukemia it, and it's just leukemia right now. The, the cancer deaths for uh, are so much on the decline. Tell us about this report you saw at CNN. Well, you know, it's fascinating that you bring this up. You know, Carmen is navigating an issue with skin cancer. And still to this day, skin cancer is the number one cancer identified in the U.S. Uh, But what you bring forward and out of the study that we were looking at, the number of cancer survivors in the U.S. continues to rise. And, you know, when you think about it, the number of people that have had cancer and have survived uh, today, this year, uh, total in 18 million. Compare that to 3 million people in 1971. Yes, our population is larger, but that is a significant difference. We are not uh, six times larger by a population base. And so we're doing things differently. You know, it's fascinating. The five-year survival rate for those that had cancer in the 1970s was about 49%. Uh, Today, it's over 70%. Mm. Now, the reason people bring this up is like, well, hey, we've had decreasing in smoking, so the types of cancers may be shifting a little bit. Uh, We have earlier identification. But we have amazing targeted therapies instead of just a general approach to chemotherapies and otherwise things that are very, very specific. Things from stem cell and and immunotherapies and things along those lines uh, have developed to a great degree. And they're really very good. And we continue to have this issue, not in in, in, uh, earlier identification, uh, but also the process for just the ability to release to to decrease uh, the cancer related deaths. Now, I want to highlight a big piece. The cancer treatments that we have are amazing. They're also very, very expensive. Mm. But did you know that 40% of the cancers that we see are preventable by not smoking, by addressing a poor diet, diets that are too high in sugar, too high in salt, but a lot of these things change what's in your gut and lead you to the potential for cancers. And again, the things that we know to be true, not enough exercise and an issue in the U.S. with ongoing issues of obesity. Those are the preventable risks. Now, the challenge we have across cancer is awareness, number one, and access for screening, number two. That is the most important thing. People need to make sure that they're getting the normal things that they do. If you're a woman, making sure that on a routine basis, you're getting your pap smears to make sure that you don't have cervical cancer. Uh, For those over 45 at risk, those over 50 in general, keep in mind colonoscopy is a normal process. And again, if you see your doctor on a routine basis, they'll do your skin assessment, just like with what Carmen is going through right now. These are just key things related to cancer, but really good news overall. Yes. Well, again, we're talking with Dr. Brett Nix here on Mornings with Carmen, looking at some of the medical news. And, well, as we transition from cancer to, well, here we are, we're in fall and the winter months coming. And that usually means flu season. Are you going to get your shots? We'll talk about that in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus, well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. He put that hunger in your heart.
This is Mornings with Carmen. Just without Carmen today, I'm Paul Perot filling in today and through Friday talking with Dr. Brett Nix from the Christian Medical and Dental Association looking at our health issues. And of course, with fall here, flu season's not far away. And, and, and Brett, my wife and I, we have a little tradition because my wife is an elementary school teacher. And because of that, as we like to say, she works in a Petri dish. And so... um we have this practice in the fall that we have a romantic jab for two to get our flu shots. <laughs> then we go out elsewhere and eat afterwards. But, you know, it's a, it's a way of making sure we're staying ahead of the game because, yeah, it, it, it can be hard for her if she doesn't get the flu shot. Well, it's amazing, Paul, because autumn is here, right? And everybody celebrates different things. Some people will go through harvest season, look at the amazing landscapes, maybe a fall festival. Perhaps somebody gets excited about Halloween and if they have young kids trick-or-treating. Apparently, you get excited about the flu shot. I did say we were excited flu about it. Flu season is here. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is here. We're seeing it already. Uh, no surprise as it relates to it. And the things that we expect is a typical process of transition. Every year, we watch the southern hemisphere and say, hey, what is winter like in Australia? What is winter like in the southern hemisphere as it relates to the flu? And they had a fairly robust flu season. Mm. Now, keep in mind, most of us anticipate a larger than normal flu season simply because for the last several years, We've been masked. We've been, you know, isolated to a degree. So the amount of virus exposure just isn't quite the same because of all the COVID aspects ongoing. And so, you know, one of the things we anticipate with this is that um, we should see the flu. We're seeing it now. We're, we're anticipating a greater amount. But recognize for those, again, that have health risk profiles, whether that be yourself, your family, your environment where you work, like your wife at school, if you're in a high risk environment, uh, this uh, the vaccine that comes out every year is based on what we see in the Southern Hemisphere, the predictions, and it has four different variants built into it. Mm -hmm. And that's just the natural process as it relates to it. People say, when should I get it? Right now is about the right time. Usually the end of September, beginning October is where you start seeing that wave because school's back in session. We start seeing the transitions in weather, depending on whether you're more in the, the northern part of the U.S. versus the southern. There's a little delay in that process. Uh, and keep in mind, the flu season every year, we average about 60,000 deaths related to influenza. And again, most of those folks that succumb to that are those that have underlying risks. They're older, they're immune compromised, uh, and they may have underlying lung issues. They may have things with heart failure associated uh, illnesses, diabetes. And again, those that uh, are anticipating becoming pregnant or are pregnant uh, are also at risk. Mm, all right. So if you're in those categories, uh, the flu shot is probably wise. Unlike my wife, like I said, she works in among little kids. So, yeah, it's always wise. Let's talk about working out as we shift gears here with uh, Brett Nix uh, from Christian Medical and Dental Association. When is the best time to work out? I know some people say I like to get up early in the morning, do my exercises before getting off and going to work. Is that always best? The time of day? Well, I it's really cool. You know, genetics are amazing. And most people will say, hey, timing is everything. There's this area within healthcare, within biology that's called chronobiology. And that is really the ability to fine tune the timing of how your genes are created and, and, and the opportunity that you can live into this. Now, I want to make this first and foremost, there is no wrong time to exercise. So don't let that be an excuse. Oh, you know, it says mornings are best for me. I just can't get up in the morning. No, don't use that as an excuse. Exercise. But recognize your age and your gender may actually dictate the optimal time. There's a study. Now, this is a small study. It looked at just about 60 people, uh, about half women. And it found out that women in the morning, if they uh, exercise in the morning, uh, 
um, actually do better than the afternoon, specifically related to uh, burning uh, abdominal fat and then also reducing blood pressure over time. Hmm. With men, however, it was the opposite, that actually the afternoon evening was better for the same attributes. Now, keep in mind what they studied was this. This was studied in healthy individuals, not high-performance athletes, but people who were fit. Most studies up to this date have been related to people that have underlying health conditions and looking specifically at this. So this is an average individual that looking at it, but here's how they studied it. Four times a week, uh, they exercised. They would lift one day. They would do intervals another day, yoga and stretching, and then cardio. And they did that four times a week for 12 weeks. And everyone in the study became more lean, more fit, stronger, and had better, better cardiovascular capacity at the end of the study. So I think that would probably be true for just about anyone. If you were dedicated, whether it be morning or evening, to lifting, to doing interval training, to doing some type of stretching in yoga and cardiovascular over a duration of time. Uh, but recognizing the morning for women seems to be the better time and for men in the afternoon. They did not take into consideration those that consider themselves night people versus morning people. Mm. That's the next study that they're looking at. Oh, okay. We have time for just one more topic. And this one is interesting because, you know, it used to be, as we were talking off air, about a hundred years ago, um, young people going through puberty was usually mid-teens. And more and more, it's getting earlier and earlier. And then during the pandemic, we noticed, especially with girls, Many are going through puberty a lot earlier, and they think they may have find out, found out why. Explain this. Yeah, you know, this is a small study, and it is based out of Turkey, and it was a study of rats. And what they ended up doing is they took the blue spectrum of light that we typically see with cell phones and devices, tablets, etc., and they had increased exposure of this light to the rats. And they followed uh, male rats, female rats to understand really what happens in them but they looked specifically at the blood levels of the reproductive hormones as well as stress hormones. And what they found was with increased exposure and duration of that exposure, it increased the levels of the reproductive hormone levels that were seen. And they actually saw earlier transitions in these young rats, especially in the female rats, uh, through a, a, an equivalency of puberty, if you will. And so what's fascinating is it drives the question that you asked before, which is why are we seeing this thing that we call idiopathic precocious puberty? What does that mean? That means girls that are under the age of eight entering puberty at a younger age more and more frequently. We saw this through COVID and this study begs the question as to are devices a continuous driver? Now, Paul, you brought up a great point. If we step back a hundred years ago or so, we did not have electricity robustly. So we followed a daylight cycle because of the cost for candles or for kerosene or otherwise was oftentimes beyond the capacity of a normal home. And in that, we got good rest. We did not have as many levels of stress hormones because rest is good. And the balance medication that we know, this thing called melatonin that our brain produces when we have darkness allows our bodies to reset. Now we move forward with electricity, people staying up later, and people at home with COVID were at home with devices likely having more exposure. Perhaps the combination of the two is what we're seeing. Uh, and one of the questions that we have right now is, as we continue to have additional exposures to this, how do we prevent that? Uh, how do we allow kids to actually grow and to mature at the what we have seen historically as the normal ages for, for young girls between 8 and 13, uh, for boys 9 to 14? Uh, but the question is, is this the only influence and what else might there be? But uh, our period during COVID has asked a lot of questions, this being another one. Hmm. You know, God has developed a rather interesting mechanism in the human body, and 
I don't know. I'm just. It, it's still. I'm still awestruck by all the ins and outs of God's creation, including how He put us together. You know, it's, it's so true, and it's fascinating because we look at these small things where we shift away from perhaps the way our bodies were intended to be, uh, and when we do that, we end up finding that many times we're not necessarily doing ourselves a favor. Uh, so it begs the question: Hey, we've talked about this before. For those who have issues with sleep challenges, with insomnia, with anxiety, or otherwise, the best thing we can do for the hour or two hours before sleep is to not watch TV, to not be on a device, maybe spend time in conversation, maybe spend time uh, in prayer, maybe spend time stretching. Uh, but the most important thing is to go ahead and prepare our bodies for what we know we need, and that's a good amount of rest. Do the, Well, you don't want to do the exercises right before bed. At least I wouldn't think so, because we were talking about that earlier. But that said, yeah, it'd be a good time to at least get the stretches in, right? Absolutely. No better time. (laughs) All right. Hey, Nick, thanks. Uh, Brent Nix, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio and giving us the insights from Christian Medical and Dental. So appreciate it. Absolutely, Paul. Talk to you soon. All right. Let's get to Breakpoint. Thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. I will trust. Well, thanks again for listening to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul Perot. Carmen will be back this coming Monday as she's out over the next few days. Okay, how connected are you to other people? Or maybe I should ask, are you feeling disconnected from others? Because it can affect your spiritual growth. Remember Hebrews? We were talking about that today because our our uh, Growing Your Faith verse comes from Hebrews. But a different passage, Hebrews 10.25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day's and the day of his return is drawing near. As Mornings with Carmen continues here in three minutes, uh, we're actually, okay, it's mostly without Carmen. She recorded an interview a few weeks ago with psychologist Todd Hall about the importance of your faith walk and how living connected is important to your faith. That's coming up here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks again for listening to Faith Radio. Can you think of a time when all seemed well for you, where you felt like you were flourishing? Was that a time when you felt most connected with others in your life? Lack of connection leads to lack of flourishing. We experienced that profoundly during the pandemic, but many are still struggling to connect. Many struggled beforehand. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot, sitting in for Carmen for the rest of the week. But actually, for the next 15 minutes, I want to bring you a conversation that Carmen recorded a few weeks ago with Todd Hall. Now, Todd is a professor of psychology at Biola University, as well as a faculty affiliate at the Harvard Human Flourishing Program. In the wake of the COVID lockdowns, Todd's been wanting to help people thrive again. And with that, helping us foster meaningful connections. Todd recently released the book, The Connected Life, The Art and Science of Relational Spirituality. Over the next several minutes, we hope you'll understand the importance of connectedness to your faith walk and your overall flourishing. Can we start with a a conversation about flourishing? Because what does it mean to flourish and who gets to flourish? Because I think we all want to be in that group. Definitely right. And there's a lot of struggles with that, as you know, Carmen, uh, just due to the pandemic but also even before the pandemic, and that's something I talk about in the book actually uh, with the connection crisis. So flourishing really is about a holistic view of 
growth and development. And I think one of the key messages of the book is that healthy relationships is really at the core of flourishing. There's different dimensions of it, obviously, but relationships are, are super important and central to, uh, to help people flourish. So let's take people into this conversation about relationships. Um, we all want to have healthy relationships. Many of us, um, our experiences in the past have been of broken relationships or less than fully functional relationships. And so it's really hard for us to imagine, um, you know, how we might develop um, genuine relational connections now that are really healthy. So take us into your own story, because I think that it helps um, it helps us understand um, where you're coming from, but also it's a it's a micro example of the macro problem. Exactly right, and I do share a little bit of my story in the book, Carmen. And so, the short version of my story is that, as far back as I can remember, my mom struggled with pretty significant mental health issues, and my parents split up when I was pretty young, about nine years old, and so there was just a lot of uh, disconnection. And, you know, in the, in the early family life with my parents. And so that led to just me feeling disconnected, you know, within my family and friends. And then I became a Christian. Fast forward to college. I hit this period of feeling very distant and dry from God, dry in my relationship with God, very distant. And I experienced this split or gap between what I knew about God in my head and how I experienced God. And so that's part of what led me to this journey of, you know, trying to understand relationships and heal myself and then help others in that process. And as you mentioned, Carmen, I think my story really is a microcosm or reflection of our collective story of relational and spiritual disconnection. Yeah, I, I like this sentence. I realized later that the pain and disconnection I felt in my relationship with God was linked to these formative childhood experiences. Um, I think right. there are a lot of us, um, there's just a lot of us who um, you know, we remember maybe having friends as kids, like those are the kinds of friends we'd like to have now, you know, people that laugh with us and play with us and learn with us and grow with us. But, you know, now we're adults and we don't laugh and play nearly as much as we used to. And we don't think of ourselves as still growing and we don't know how to have substantially healed relationships. So can you give us a little insight into the process? Because you do talk about, well you, well, you cover so much material in the book. And again, we're talking with Dr. Todd Hall the book is The Connected Life. Um, we're, we're just really having a conversation about who we are, what we want in our relationships, um, and how we can achieve those. So can you just talk a little bit about, because there is an art and a science here um, right. in relationship to this. So dig around in that right. a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of this goes back to our attachment relationships. And I talk quite a bit about that in the book. So these early relationships with with caregivers who we rely on for emotional comfort and, you know, safety and support. And so those experiences really are formative. It doesn't mean that we can't change and grow. As you mentioned, it just means that those are very formative uh, early relationships. And so what happens is the patterns we experience in those relationships get internalized into this gut level form of memory. And then they form sort of a blueprint or a template for how we feel about ourselves at a deep level and how we relate to others and how we expect others to feel toward us. And so if those relationships are healthy, and of course it's a continuum, right? But the, to the degree that they're healthy, 
we develop what we call a secure attachment. And so that basically means we feel accepted and known. Parents and caregivers are emotionally attuned to us and they're responsive. So that means they, you know, they're able to read our emotional signals fairly accurately, not perfectly, and and be responsive. Um, so uh, there's a, there's comfort when we're distressed. There's um, what we call a secure base. So we know our caregivers, parents have our back. And so we can go out and explore the world. And there's also companionship. So comfort, challenge, and companionship is how I put it sometimes. Now, when those experiences are are unhealthy with parents and, you know, important caregivers, and there's either neglect or uh, abuse, trauma, you know, those kinds of things, those also get internalized and those lead to insecure attachment. And, and basically people tend to go to one, there's sort of a spectrum. On one side, we have what we call anxious attachment. And so there people tend to uh, sort of hyperactivate their attachment system to deal with this because we have to try to maintain a relationship with our parents or caregivers because we depend on them, right? So we have to sort of cope with the challenges. So sometimes people become anxious and, and hyperactivate their attachment system. And um, that leads to a certain set of problems where they have more difficulty sort of regulating emotions and get really distressed. On the other side of the spectrum, sometimes people sort of shut down emotionally, and that's what we call dismissing attachment. And so that plays out in, you know, all of our important relationships, including our relationship with God. We'll continue Carmen's conversation with psychologist Todd Hall from Biola, author of The Connected Life. And yes, we do have copies of the book to give away. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Well, thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, guest hosting for Carmen through Friday. Right now, though, we're exploring how you being meaningfully connected to others is important to your spiritual flourishing. So for that, let's return to Carmen's conversation with Todd Hall. He's the author of the book, The Connected Life. Todd, let's um, let's dig a- around a little bit in um, in sort of what people can do, like how do we build a life-giving relational connection? Like, just take one. So I'm, you know, I'm 54. I'm I'm married. Um, I have uh, kids who now, you know, are basically all adults. I'm, you know, got grandkids coming along. I still have my own parents. Like, right? And there's a lot of opportunity for relationship. But it's hard to make a new real friend at 54. How, how do we do that? Like, how do we functionally do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Carmen. I think that kind of the general uh, answer to, you know, how do we how do we grow 
is we have to get into we have to have an experience have new relational experiences to heal and grow so that's one of the core messages of the book is that understanding things about god and about growth in our head you know conceptual knowledge is important it sort of sets the framework but we really have to experience that it has to kind of sink in you know to our hearts and so we have to we have to have new loving relational experiences so the way i put it in the book is that we're loved into loving that's how we grow so we've got to find those relationships so the first kind of major point would just be finding relationships that are safe to go a little deeper and and process things and and you're right Carmen yeah I think it is it is difficult sort of the further along we get in life and get sort of set um, in our social network if you will sometimes it's difficult to to make new friends or to go deeper so I think part of that is just looking for those people who are safe who are able to connect to some extent and obviously these need to be mutual relationships so we need to do our part and be safe as well and build those but then to take some you know take some steps and risks to reach out a little bit more and and try to um you know forge a deeper conversation so i think that's one step and then as you have those new relational experiences um then we need to reflect on those and kind of interpret our experiences and that kind of helps to helps to crystallize them and then also you know community is is huge i talk about that in the book as well uh just finding communities that you can connect with to uh to to really grow yeah, I mean, sometimes that's shared interest. Sometimes it's a shared opportunity for service. Sometimes, you know, right. we end up sitting next to somebody at an event that we're both attending, um, and we may have been sitting there wondering why we were there, and we discover that the reason we're there is because God wanted us to meet that person who's sitting next to us, right? Um, right. And, have, and have a little opportunity to to grow with them through a shared experience. Um, I, is there any chance that we overcomplicate this? I mean, like... Is it is it possible that it's easier than we're making it, even though the tools that you offer and the the data and the information so critical, right, to help us understand ourselves and the situation that we're in? But you're you're also trying to liberate us from this like bondage of being almost like paralyzed by the fear of trying to make a new friend or trying to make a new connection. Yeah, I think there is some sense in which it it can be overcomplicated. So in some ways the the steps and processes are are simple in some ways, but they are they are difficult sometimes. There are challenges. It requires vulnerability, right? So mm-hmm. and courage to kind of reach out and and develop new relationships or to help them to go deeper. And you know, there's a lot of sort of forces in our society that sort of work against that. But I, yeah, I think the basic steps of getting into relationship creating that safety, looking for people who are safe, getting involved in community. You mentioned service, Carmen. I mean, I think that's a great way to develop relationships, you know, coming alongside people and doing service where there's a shared mission in addition to shared experiences. You are um, on a university campus. You interact with uh, young people on a fairly regular basis. You also interact with a lot of business leaders, you know, folks at the leadership level across the country. Um, is there is there also something happening generationally? Um, I guess I'm wondering, you know, you know, for those of us who maybe are now mid midlife, and we have a lot of friends, relationships, um, coworkers who grew up in single parent families, um, and now we're in the second or third generation of that. Um, it's pretty systemic at this point. Um, you know, have we right. arrived at the place where you're like you're you're meeting young people now who they don't really have any sense of 
um, you know, of, of kind of the healthy attachment that you describe. Yeah, yeah, I do think there is some some generational issues here. And so that's one of the things I talk about in the book is the connection crisis. And, and I kind of describe how really over the last 40, 50 years, there has been a growing sense of disconnection. And part of that is the breakdown of the family, as you mentioned. Um, and part of that is breakdown of community that Robert Putnam documents in his book, Bowling Alone, and an increase in mental health issues. And I think that really goes back to the breakdown of the family and insecure attachment as a pretty core part of that. So there's a lot of forces like that that are working. And, and yeah, you mentioned I'm on a university campus and I do, I do see that both in our counseling center, um, which is a trend across the country, as well as just the, you know, the level of challenges and issues that our undergraduate and graduate students are facing is quite a bit more significant than 20, 25 years ago. So but this is really a hope filled book as well. So maybe take us to the, um, you know, take us to the place of good news. There is hope. We can. This is something that we can grow into and we can learn. Um, we do have the capacity for healthy relationships, even redeemed relationships, not only with God, but with ourselves and, you know, substantially healed relationships with others. Yes, yes, that is a great point. There is there is hope. And I think that's one of the really exciting things, Carmen, that we've learned in the past couple of decades from from science including neuroscience as well as psychology is that we can always grow and learn and develop and heal you know so when we look at how the brain functions this is called neuroplasticity that the brain can continue to develop and you know and i think the soul as well we can we continue to grow and develop and heal and it really just it just takes those new experiences where you feel known and accepted and that can really produce quite a bit of change i think more than people realize sometimes so when there's those conditions of safety and relationships you know one of the ways i describe it sometimes is it can change our direct our direction a few degrees and that may not seem like much at the time but down the road you find you're in a really different place or another way to describe it is tipping points so i talk about spiritual tipping points you know if we just put in the work and there's these incremental little changes and i see this in therapy with my clients a lot for a while it's hard to see these changes but they they do add up cumulatively and at some point there's a there's a tipping point and there's a shift in how we feel about ourselves and how we're able to relate to others all right the book is the connected life we are giving away copies today. If you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Todd, you said something there that um, provokes me to ask a question. It's going to sound either tongue-in-cheek or rhetorical to you, so however, okay. however it comes out. <laughs> um, so wait a second. It's okay for me to have Jesus and a therapist, too? Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Yeah, okay, you got to say more than that. You got to because sure. there are people who are listening who are like, "Oh no, J Jesus! It's you know we can't we can't you know therapist therapy. Uh, what? No, we it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too." Right, right. So yeah, I think part of the way I think about that is spiritual growth is about relationships. That's really the message of the book. Again, that we're loved into loving. It's about growing in love for God and love for others. And a lot of therapy models and therapists, that's exactly what they help you do. 
Um, and so it doesn't mean you disconnect from community or the rest of your life. It's just somebody coming alongside you to help in a very focused way to help you heal and grow in certain ways. And the way I approach therapy and, and uh, you know, a lot of these, the models that are more relational, I guess I'll say, it, it is a very real relationship and it can be extremely helpful to, uh, to many people. So I think uh, when we look at it that way, I think definitely it is can be very helpful and is uh, good and, and biblical to be in a growth process and to be in therapy. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do every single day. Um, thank you for the gift of the conversation and the book. Todd Hall is who you're looking for out there. The book is The Connected Life. We are giving away copies today. So if this is something that you know would be helpful to you, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Carmen. Really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot filling in. Yeah, I know we heard Carmen doing that interview. It's something we recorded a few weeks ago and just hadn't gotten around to using, so we used it this morning. If you're interested in getting a copy of The Connected Life by Todd Hall, we do have a few copies on hand. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, again, text the word book, just those four letters, B-O-O-K, to 877-933-2484, and then when you get the little reply message, there's a hyperlink. Click on that and get in on the drawing. And again, thank you for listening to Faith Radio. Um, if you, by chance, if you're at our in our Madison market, if you're listening to uh, Faith Radio at 104.7 or on AM 1190, and you know Arlene Johnson Overski or Marcine Johnson Scully or Doris Johnson Godnier or Jewel Johnson Beck, you might want to congratulate them, wish them well, for they are in the Guinness Book of World Records. These three sisters have a combined age. Well, first, let me tell you how old these ladies are. Ar- Arlene is 100 and 101, Marcine is 99, Doris is 96, Jewel is 93, and they're in the Guinness World Records for being the four living siblings with a combined age. They're the oldest ever recorded 389 years, and as of August 22nd, it's more since then, 197 days. Uh, they beat another, fam- uh, another family of long-lived people. And anyway, Doris told the Madison Daily Leader, yeah, we're still living. I guess that's something to celebrate, so celebrate with them if uh, you know them. Well, again, thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continue to be in prayer for Carmen as she is right now Well, probably finishing up surgery right about now for that melanoma that's being removed and pray for her recovery as she rests over the next few days. Uh, Remember, all the conversations of Mornings with Carmen, you can hear them again or share them on our website, MyFaithRadio.com, or on the Faith Radio app. Just uh, look for the Mornings with Carmen podcast. I'm Paul Perot. See you tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.